Welcome back to The Exchange, presented by Ohm Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is our 20th episode, and episode 9 of season 2, the second part of two conversations on packaging with special guest, General Manager for Ohm Specialty Coffee, Rob Stevens. As we closed part one, the discussion had turned to vacuum packaging, and that's where we pick it up. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd, with a little bit of Rob. For listeners who may be uh, actually furiously typing into Google, uh, vac, uh, vacuum sealer. Yeah, like a vacuum sealer and uh, O2 testers. You know, this type of stuff. Just give us a quick detail on, you know, quick definition of what those things are, what that packaging looks like. Maybe even just like a sense of, you know, ballpark price, ballpark physical size, and Mm -hmm. what the function is. Well, the one I had uh, that did five-pound bags, it would do two five-pound bags or four one-pound bags. Uh, It's about the width of an espresso machine. It's uh, on a stand that it, so you could stand up and like do it. A, like a table. Like, uh, well, it, it sits on, it has legs that go to the floor, and it has a tilted a plate where you put the bags on. Um, that machine uh, ran about $15,000 for that machine. From This is quite a while ago. Um, it needed regular maintenance because p- coffee particles got in the way of filters, and it, it prevented act, you know good sealing. Um, the, the heating elements uh, that would melt the bags needed to be replaced quite often. So there's a maintenance issue. It, it's like basically the price of a small roaster and the maintenance of a small roaster. Mm-hmm. Um, an O2 tester at the time was probably three to five grand. Three to five grand. Yeah, it was. It was up. Yeah, there. O2 testing is probably more an investment into the continual process. Yeah, and you you need that anyways. I mean, you have to know what your oxygen levels are. And most people that just assume when they actually get them tested, they're shocked as to how high the oxygen levels are in their packages. Well, for example, I mean, again, getting into the weeds, but if you are doing heat sealing on a bag and yeah. you've got one tiny little gap in your, in your heat element, and you've got this, you know, staple size uh, gap there that you can't see with the human eye, but every bag you put out in the field is leaking through that area that didn't get sealed on the top, you'll only find that with a nitro tester. Yeah. You know, so that can act on the so. Great. Yeah. What about uh, nitro flushing? Is this part of that same unit? Can so, you, can you n- get things like this that are bundled? Is yeah, that- yeah usually it's uh, an option to add to your heat sealer, and it literally is uh, just one more line going in, and it's uh, and you have a, an, uh, a nitrogen tank, an actual, looks like a, a welding tank that you would get from a gas supply company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gas lasts quite a long time if you get a tall, you know, a, 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 a five foot tall or four foot something tank. Uh, but it's an additional add-on. It doesn't cost a lot. There's there's no real difference. But if you looked at that SCA staling study, the nitrogen flushing didn't play nearly as big of a role. No, I think that was one of the bigger takeaways. Yeah, study was that that was you know to yeah. most people. That was the thing that was like gold standard. Got to do yeah. it if you want to be serious and you want. Well, to and, and especially if you went up the ladder and went to liquid nitrogen drops, which is definitely more expensive, uh, it uh, doesn't pan out. It doesn't pencil out in the end. And I think uh, the people who were really pioneering the use of this technology were people who were going into long-term distribution. Yeah, you know, heavy grocery, one-year shelf life, that kind right. of stuff. And most most of our listeners aren't going to 
be entertaining the idea of a one-year shelf life for sure. their coffee. So. Sure, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about uh, transitioning from hand packing and obviously like a, a key consideration, I'm sure anyone who's kind of leveling up from small to medium size is, is thinking about if they haven't already, right. way and fill. Way and fill, yeah. Um, you know, what are the advantages there? What are the considerations if you're looking to spend some capital before year end? And, right. Uh, neutralize some of your your profits. Is this something to do? Do you, you know why do it? Why? Well, I don't see any downside to doing it. the The issue is is that it takes a lot of labor to hand scoop bags. Yeah. How many bags you know can you, Todd Mackey, the, at surprised. the peak of your yeah. career when you were really scooping away? What was your record per hour? It's not as much as you think. I, I was. Before we went on the air, I was talking about I went to tour a very large roaster one time that I uh, worked with and was stunned to see that they had about 30 people around a table hand filling and uh, weighing the bags. And the comment I had brought up was why with the volumes that they were doing, I mean, they had four full bag roasters going and imagine the amount of weighing you're doing on that and their answer at the time why they didn't go to a weight fill was it wasn't artisanal and which i i was at a loss as to what that even meant uh you know was there a flourish on the when you're pulling the scoop out of the bag that they thought added something to it but it speeds up dramatically the process of filling weighing in bags uh especially when you have big runs for wholesale it, it's it's well worth the money it, again it's a considerable investment it's not cheap it requires maintenance that is significant, um, but in the in the long run, that would be one that I would do over nitrogen flushing if I was you know going to be weighing my options of what I could afford. Yeah, it seems like this would be the biggest first step, going sure. from hand packed like foot sealed bags to the next yeah to the next level. I mean, obviously, the biggest consideration is just the capital spend, and I think most people find themselves in a place where. Even though per unit you're spending dollars instead of cents, you don't have that cash free to spend on something that's as uninspiring and unromantic right. as the, the you know the weigh and fill seems until you're in the, the precise position of managing the middle of your PL. Right. Um, which you know a lot of the listeners I'm sure in the first five minutes of the war, the first three years of the business. And, and that's not a thing yet, but it should be coming down the pipe. And I do think this is an area where money can be found uh, without necessarily just saying, well, let's up our prices and become less competitive. Well, and like Rob pointed out, it's one of those expenses that at the end of the year, uh, it, the idea is that it's increasing your volume. And if you then run your numbers, especially your cost of goods, when it comes to labor costs at the end of the year, that will have paid for itself. It's, it's a no-brainer on that level. And there's just nothing to teach you that you don't want to hand fill 10,000 bags, like hand filling 10,000 bags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of filling 10,000 bags, I mean, you know, I had the unique experience of hand filling what felt like if it weren't uh, 10,000 bags, but to, like little like single pot pillows and things like this. I'm sure we Pillow have, pack. We have listeners that are in this space that might be, you know, uh, fulfilling the demands of, uh, old school, let's say, clients that uh, are looking to brew pot by pot and they want pre-portioned uh, pillow packs. Is this something that all 
the same logic applies? Are there considerations for uh, how you're dealing with packaging these types of things that typically don't have one of the valves or they no. have permitted valves? So, you know, in your experience, if you're getting pressure as a small roaster uh, from a customer saying, yeah, I, I love your coffee, I want to buy it, right? Um, you know, can you sell it to me in this format yeah. or this brewer? And, you know, but obviously the expectation is, it's going to be the same as that coffee and taste the same. Right. Can you actually deliver coffee in that package right. and keep your stamp? Well, I, w- I would, that would go back to the days. For one, that's hotel service predominantly is where you're going to get that. Well, that high-end restaurant service. Well, yeah, high-end restaurant. not high-end restaurant service, but you'll have that. That's true. Uh, if you get into the airline business, you know, some people get airline accounts. Maybe it's a regional airline carrier, but they're going to want the pillow packs as well. Um you, you know, want filter packs usually. Filter packs, yeah. It's that boils down to um you know, what what do you want to do with your brand and what, and are you willing to sacrifice the quality for the increased visibility? I mean, if you could have the Hilton chain for a a region, you know, is it worth it in the long run, even though the coffee quality won't be better? I chased the hotel business pretty vigorously, but I did not want to do that type of pack. So I was experimenting with different ways of, of getting hotel service coffee um, done that didn't involve that, that, that still maintained the, the, the quality of the coffee that would be equal to what the customer would experience in a cafe or at home. And it's tough. It's a really tough one. Um, the machine is for that is quite expensive. Uh, you would have to have significant volume to make that pencil out and be worth your while. And you have to wrestle with yourself on the quality issue. But remember back in the day, the the um, espresso pods, that was the same kind of thinking. You know, the press pods that came in the little puck that would just go right into the portafilter. And, oh, sure. Yeah. But that brings me to what I usually used to tell people who would get into that line of business, which is is the same thing, same advice I would give you if you were going to uh, scale up your roasting um, is to is the same one I would give you on packaging, which is before you go out and haul off and buy a huge, huge roaster, um, consider whether you can rent time on somebody else's, right? So, you know, a form fill and seal machine entry level is $150,000 and they go up from there I and mean, they go into the millions. Um, and if you wanted to do flexible packaging at high volumes or you wanted to do filter packaging at, at, uh, or frack pack packaging, there's roasting plants out there that, you know, nobody knows of, nobody knows their brand name because they just do stuff for other people. You can bring your roasted coffee to them and they'll do this for cents on the package. Right. And you don't have to lay out your capital. They've got all the quality control in place. And and if you're, you know, it's a great way to start up and see if you, if your market for that is good before you invest in all this packaging. I'll tell you, packaging equipment changes fundamentally the way that your business operates because you then, you are required to have a maintenance staff. Or right. team. I mean, these things are, are like Swiss watches. They they break down all the time. Although I shouldn't talk about watches around you. But well, they don't break down all the time. You just regularly maintain a Swiss watch, and every yeah. five years, and well, like they'll run like dealing with a nice espresso machine. Yeah. Preventative True. Is the key. Yeah. True. But I mean, you know, if some of these machines have hundreds of moving parts, and if one of them goes, they all stop. Right? You're down so, for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where you would, as much as you can make this somebody else's problem and use somebody else's money, it's it's worth doing. I mean. Obviously, not for a simple net wear to make, you know, to fill 
craft bags or something like that. But when we start getting into advanced packaging, there's a ton of excess capacity in the industry. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that reminds me, you know, we talked about this on a handful of episodes ago where Rob's name came up, where uh, Rob had mentioned when he really was... Do you want to talk about that with him? Well, might as well. I'll okay. get the cat out of the bag and just get it out there on the table <laughs> and get past it. Don't hurt um, either of my feelings. Please. Yeah. <laughs> um, where When Rob was at Duncan, uh, he and I had had a conversation about um, about this, not this subject, but around scaling up as a, a brand in roasting. And Rob had brought up a thing one time that irked me at first. And then the more I thought about it, and then in time I've learned he was correct, was... Wow. <clears throat> he said that into a mic and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah, is recorded. I've been working on yeah. getting prepared to deliver that. Yeah. Woo. Take a moment. Hang on. I'm, I'm, I don't know why. I told myself I wouldn't try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Revel in this moment. Take advantage of it while you have it. Uh, was the idea of, you know, if you were to to use your money wisely, what you would not be doing is investing in manufacturing of coffee. What you would be investing in is your brand. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to sell if you ever sold your company. That's what's going to help you grow that buying a roaster. It was something to the effect of what, what irked me was something about you're just browning beans. I mean, you don't let's don't get, you know, get over yourself. This is a replicable thing that is not art we're dealing with. We're dealing with food manufacturing. And, you know, when you're a small roaster, you think you're an artist and you think you're producing something that nobody else can do. But the bottom line is, is that any contract roaster out there that knows what they're doing can replicate anything you can imagine if you give the spec correctly. And so what Rob was saying was, you know, invest in your brand, invest in your package, invest in, in, in the company Put that stuff off on somebody else. And nowadays, especially with FISMA, uh, the, you know, the Food Safety Modernization Act and maintenance of all this equipment and the, the labor of having, you know, roasters and packagers and all of that, that you can pay somebody to do it. And it literally is pennies on the dollar. In most cases, you'll find that your manufacturing costs will always be far cheaper to go to a, a co-packer than it would be to do it yourself. And he was right about that. It, it took a while for this thing to wear off, but he was sure, right in the sure. end. Yeah. Well, we're proud of you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big step for me. He's not admitting all the other times I was right, but, you know, there's plenty yeah. more episodes coming down the pipe. I have, I have no idea what he's I talking about. I feel like, you know, there is that mentality in the in the craft space where, you know, we want to be hands-on making yeah. and, and the maker mentality, which I think is totally healthy and totally like a, a driving part of the space we live in is also very difficult to shape when it comes to things like this um, that are in the business best interest, whether you look at liability or you look at overheads, um, you look at the, the opportunity cost of taking those dollars, putting them there into right. a fixed asset instead of you know hiring a salesperson or building your brand or investing in more elaborate packaging, doing some sort of rebranding initiative yeah. that can help you stand out more. Um, you know That's obviously a very compelling argument. I think, uh, you know, to me, the, the place where this logically brings us is how important is packaging as it relates to the brand? I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that it's critical, but yeah. we're in what feels like a day and age in specialty coffee where everyone is trying to paint with the same palette, right. something that's entirely different and saying, well, you know, we are totally different than the next roaster down the street. Right. 
like, can you do that? Is that a waste of time? Should we be focusing on other things? I mean, you know, is packaging almost self-indulgent at this point? You know, we've got like bags inside of boxes, inside yeah. of cans out there that are just like, I mean, from a sustainability perspective, yeah, it's ridiculous. crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't help but say it after. So, in your opinion, I mean, should is this like a, a, a dragon we're chasing to slay and we should give up the hunt? Or is this like a worthwhile investment specifically around like innovating packaging rather than right. putting a brand on it and doing better at communicating the packaging? Well, it depends on what message you're sending. I, I think that nowadays, and, and not only coffee, but any food product or actually any product, packaging is is branding. It's marketing. It's uh, it's a way to look as being innovative. But in the long run, you have to ask yourself on the sustainability side, are you sending the right or wrong message? And I think a lot of larger companies, um, you know, going getting back to the watch thing, I'm a watch collector. I'm very big into that. A big thing for watch watch collectors is the box that the watch comes in. And if you were to buy the the Man on the Moon watch that went to the moon, it's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. That box is uh, two and a half feet wide by two and a half feet deep, and about eight inches tall to hold a watch. And but everybody wants the box. They want the big box. Like, what does that have to do with the watch? It's got nothing. It's a box and it's made of wood and it's lacquered. And you think about the environmental footprint of making that package is ludicrous. So a company called Oris Watches has done away with all of that. They're putting their high-end watches in uh, uh, recycled bamboo packaging and very minimalist. And that's their message. We're not going to continue to clog the oceans with plastic and useless stuff and so I do think you need to be conscious of that. My move into cans was all about that. Was Could the multi-layered package have been superior when it comes to preservation of coffee? Perhaps, but I wasn't willing to take the leap and to go into a package that was not recyclable, that was nothing but landfill uh, fodder. Uh, I couldn't live with it. It's the same reason why I never went into capsules, and um, I, it just didn't work for me. So, what's where you know what's your moral compass on this? I don't know. Uh, in creative ways, I mean, some of the companies lately, you know, there are companies that stand out because of their packaging, and they they on the shelf. If you walk down a grocery shelf where they're dealing with regional coffee players, if you just walk quickly, a lot of those packages kind of blend in together. They don't, it's a wallpaper. And so what's going to pop? And so Illy, you know, obviously they're in a can with the screw top lid and that popped. That was a unique thing that stood out. Uh, now you got this drive coffee that's being done in, in Atlanta, I believe, that's using, I mean, there are, this is off the shelf product, but a, a paint varnish can. It's like a squarish or a rectangular can with a screw top okay. that you would have like paint thinner normally. Um, you have a uh, double shot out of, uh, I believe it's in Oklahoma, that's using paint cans uh, to package their product. Um, you have this uh, this company called Barista Parlor in Nashville, te- uh, Tennessee, which I saw these really cool square, I believe they're like a Tetra Pak type square box with a center plastic screw cap that the coffee beans come out of. I emailed them prior to the show because I want to get a better handle on what that package is. But as far as a brand a driver. It was a very cool package. It's probably one of the better looking coffee packages I've seen in a long time. Um, 
And then uh, Huckleberry would do their special edition coffees in what looked like an oversized Altoid tin, but they made that look like a cassette tape. And it had, you know, the branding was written like it was a cassette tape. So some of these other packaging, you know, they were they were vacuum sealed and they had valves on them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting too to look at some of those instances and, and compare, you know, how much of that are special marketing efforts that are like single coffees or limited edition runs versus, you know, this is our standard package. How many of these are deployed in the context of multiple roasters competing for the same shelf space? Right. All that kind of stuff plays. And I certainly, I know we've done a marketing episode. We're likely to do more marketing episodes. Oh, yeah. The point wasn't necessarily to uh, take the discussion completely down that route. It's just, it begs to be asked when thinking about packaging, I mean, what type of dual purpose approach should a roaster have from a mentality standpoint? Right. Because this is not just functional. It is also form and it needs yeah. to be approached as such. My personal success metric for each episode, Mark, I have to say, is just to get you to say back in the day a minimum of four to five times. Is that already right? completed? Are you, you were alive during that moon, moon mission that you uh, mentioned, right? I was one. Yeah, yeah but you yeah. just wanted to point out that you were alive, so that's good. Yeah, well, yeah I, I personally feel like we have covered the, the success topic. <laughs> we did. I guess I'd kick it over to you guys. Like, What have we missed? Is, is there anything before wrapping it up uh, that we should uh, talk about or that we, we'd be remiss to overlook? Well, I think what we've overlooked and we haven't addressed is the capsule packaging, which is a huge uh, deal nowadays. Not only the, the Keurig-type capsule, but now that the, uh, the Nespresso-type capsule is opened up, people are starting to package into that. And to me, a much... Um, more difficult decision for a roaster because the volumes are clearly there when you do it. I mean, businesses are transformed when they go into this type of package, but I would argue that it's a significant sacrifice in quality compared Mm to coffee being brewed in other methods. And uh, the environmental footprint thing uh, is something you have to wrestle with. It's a big one. But if it's just about capitalism and growing your brand, I don't know of any avenue right now that's going to grow your volume faster than that. Uh, it disturbs me that it's that's what's causing the amount of growth we're seeing. Um, but nevertheless, it's something that we are here. You know, it's a reality for us in this industry. Yeah, not only the volume, but the market. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's not forget that you're taking a pound of coffee and ultimately selling it for $50 a pound. Uh, but then you do the math on that. So. Yeah, no, there's tons of, of roasters who are trying to buy some of the, the best greens out there and can't sell it for $50 a pound. And, and right. we're seeing average qualities uh, roasted in sort of a uh, you know, straight commercial type approach. You know, just very Well, very even if you did a high-end, super great micro lot like this coffee we drank today and you put in a capsule, you're going to lose a significant amount of what makes this coffee for great. Sure, and sure. my old argument when I when those were first coming on the market was I'll put my $50 a pound coffee versus your $50 a pound capsule and I guarantee you you're going to be more impressed with what I'm doing. But cleanliness, convenience, you know, oh, rules day. the day, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is one of those things. I think, you know, beyond just the the sort of moral uh, question that, that everyone has to ask in terms of getting in there so from a sustainability or lack thereof standpoint is, is also what is a gate brand. I mean, right. this is one of those that depending on the space, it's it's kind of like becoming a crossover punk band, right? You know, 
can can you make the leap in time? You can all relate to that, kids right. out there. You can, you can relate to that, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah. sure. You got your uh, my pocket punk, square, your steampunk pocket square. Right? Yeah. But right. there's the question: Can you make the transition entirely? And it's almost silly to say, and I, it's not to say, well, yeah, if you can, you should. Right. That's ludicrous. Right. right. That's not the conversation we're having. But a lot of people. That's their thought process. But I do think that yeah. you need to have uh, the thought in mind in terms of the different platforms you're selling, different packaging that you're putting your product out in as it relates to your quality and the message that just its shape itself sends about who you are. Right. Is are you picking the space that you want to live in? Right. And are you ready to fully occupy it if it's taken and it's received? I mean, I always have the same conversation that both you have with uh, clients, which is, you know, what green coffee should I buy? Well, what are you trying to say with coffee, right? And that d- dictates how you roast, what style of roast, what kinds of machines you roast on. It dictates the packaging you use. It dictates what goes on the outside of the packaging. Like, what are you trying to say with coffee? And a lot of these questions of modality, you know, what kind of packaging should I use? What should I put on the are all all easily or more easily answered if you can answer that first question. What are you trying to say? And one of the biggest things you can say or not say is whether you try decide to go into that kind of packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know for sure, bottom line, you can't just say, yes, I'll do that. Yeah. Yes, right. I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Because right. the company you're going to become in five years or in 10 years is not at all the company that you're starting now, that you started a year ago, two years ago, uh, or the one that you dream to be. Um, so, you know, make those decisions wisely. But, uh, with that in mind, I mean, Mark, I'll let you take us out. What a special episode. I know. You're looking, uh, overlooking downtown Providence yep. with Rob Steven. Uh, Rob, we hope you'll sit down with us for a few trips. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What was the experience? I think, uh, I was misled about uh, the fact that there'd be something in my glass, but otherwise I would really, we'll, we'll take care of that after the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had yeah. a, I had a great time. I've, I've been, uh, listening to the episodes uh, over the last couple of seasons and, and some many times wishing I could get in there. So I was really glad for the opportunity and, and yeah, I'll definitely take you up on any invites in the future. You got it. I would have thought that he would have shown prepared for that segment. I mean, that's right. a regular segment every episode. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just want to air the grievance just so we can <laughs> get it out there in the room. <laughs> no, it was awesome to have you, Rob. I mean, your experience in this space especially is really unique and I feel like you have the, uh, the depth and an approach uh, to speak to this that, that few uh, people do. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Well, another great episode of The Exchange from Olam Specialty Coffee. For Todd Mackey, producer Mike Ferguson, and myself, Mark Inman, we wish you a very good day. It's true. You've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson, and featuring special guest Rob Steven for the past two episodes as we discussed the coffee roaster and packaging. Our opening theme was Coffee Night by Alberto Trobia. Our closing theme is Every Last Coffee or Tea by $75 Bill. All music is used under Creative Commons. Remember, you can email us for any reason other than to criticize Mark's obsession with pocket squares at the exchange at olamnet.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for an episode on coffee roasters and providing retail equipment for customers. And now...
your postscript. I, I mean, I, I, I felt like I was on another planet, man.